This is Anchored in Christ, the sermon podcast that gives you hope in the gospel as an anchor for your soul. Brought to you from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. A sermon series, Thy Kingdom Come. Looking at all the ways in which the gospel that Jesus proclaimed impacts now and for eternity. Our second reading is from the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 21. I am going to begin with verse 1, and we will continue on through several verses. It is found on page 74 of the Pew Bible. He, Jesus, looked up and saw rich people putting their gifts into the treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. He said, truly, I tell you, this poor widow is put in more than all of them, for all of them have contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in all she had to live on. When some were speaking about the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and gifts dedicated to God, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. They asked him, Teacher, when will this be? What will be the sign that this is about to take place? And he said, Beware that you are not led astray, for many will come in my name and say, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and insurrections, do not be terrified. For these things must take place first, but the end will not follow immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places famines and plagues. And there will be dreadful portents and great signs from heaven. But before all this occurs, they will arrest you and persecute you. They will hand you over to synagogues and prisons. You will be brought before kings and governors because of my name. This will give you an opportunity to testify. So make up your minds and not to prepare your defense in advance. For I will give you words and a wisdom that none of your opponents will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be betrayed, even by parents and brothers, by relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death. You will be hated by all because of my name, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your souls. And going down to verse 31. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Let us pray. Lord, we're praying that by your Holy Spirit, which inspired our brother Luke to write these words, you would now illumine our hearts so that we may understand it And that in understanding we may believe. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Born 
to a surprised 45-year-old and a shocked 51-year-old father, my dad was two years old when the stock market crashed on October 29, 1929. My father's character and outlook on life were shaped by the decade known as the Great Depression. What was that shaping? It was assurance that all would be well. In my dad's own words, he never knew a depression was taking place all over the country. In his house, there was nothing to fear. You see, my grandfather years before had come upon a significant amount of money. And in the Oklahoma territories, he established a bank. 1907, when it became a state, he named it the Farmers Exchange Bank. And he made loans to farmers, also known as Okies. He was an aristocratic Oklahoman. Now that's an oxymoron for many. My grandfather named that bank the Farmers Exchange Bank. So in the Depression, when the farmers were defaulting on their loans, he did not seize the land. He asked for an exchange. What can you give? Well, some chickens, a smoked ham, maybe a dollar on a hundred. And that was sufficient. So the farmers made sure that the bank made sure that the banker and his family had everything they needed. My dad grew up in the Depression without fear. Luke 21 tells us of things that are far worse than the Great Depression. And how we experience life depends upon how we interpret what is happening. In chapter 21, Jesus shows us how to interpret what is happening in light of the kingdom of God. One, he teaches us to see more than our circumstances. Two, he wants us to interpret life events based on who is with us. And three, Jesus gives us assurance to follow him beyond fear. Let's look. Jesus teaches us to see more than our circumstance. There are two examples I would like to highlight in chapter 21. Jesus is in his last week of his earthly life. He's in Jerusalem. He and his disciples are in the temple. And they're watching wealthy people drop their coins into this metal coffer of the treasury. They watch a poor widow as she opens her hand and releases two tiny coins that are worth less than a penny. The disciples, well, they, they see at face value the circumstance. They see how much is given. All of this from the wealthy and this pitiful amount from the widow. Now, how does Jesus see what is before him? 
He sees the kingdom of God at work through this woman's faith, which extends far into the future. He says, truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. What? How? Well, Jesus sees the circumstance in light of what God will do. Let me ask you, who is it that has inspired the entire globe for 2,000 years? Was it those who had wealth and gave out of their surplus? Or was it the one who gave all that she had to live on? Jesus sees beyond the circumstance in light of what God will do. And he teaches us to do this as well. Many of you are familiar with Gordon Conwell Seminary. That's where my husband teaches, where I graduated. I don't know if you know some of the stories behind its founding. In the mid-1800s, a little girl named Hattie Mae Wyatt lived near a church in Philadelphia. She wanted to go to Sunday school, but the building was too small, and she was told there is no room in this church for you. Reverend Conwell heard about Hattie Mae. He went to visit her, and he said, I am going to make sure to make sure that we build buildings large enough for everyone who wants to come to Sunday school. A short time later, 1886, Hattie Mae got very sick and she died. Her mother gave Reverend Conwell the little girl's purse. It had the savings that she was keeping in order to help toward the building of a larger church for Sunday school. Reverend Conwell opened it. There were 57 cents. So he took it to the congregation. He told the story of little Hattie Mae, and in response, the congregation gave $250. With the $250, they bought a nearby building a nearby building, a house. It was turned into the first classes of Temple College, which went on to be Temple University. A seminary, Conwell Seminary, was in that house, which was enlarged. And when the state bought Temple College and turned it into the university, the Conwell Seminary joined with Gordon Divinity School. And there you have it. 57 cents, Gordon Conwell Seminary. Whatever is happening in your life right now, what is it? Jesus teaches you to see beyond your circumstance to what God will do through your faith, through your life of faith, far beyond which you can ask. Let's look at our second example. Jesus teaches us to see beyond circumstance. Verses 5 through 8. They're in the temple. It's magnificent. The Roman historian Josephus says that 
It looked like it was a snow-clad mountain on top of Mount Zion. The disciples are like tourists. They're spilling out, you know, of a tour bus, and they're just gawking at all that they see. They are going on and on about how impressed they are. The stones themselves were 12 to 60 feet in length, seven and a half feet high, nine feet in depth. They were adorned with stones and gold. Spectacular gifts brought by foreigners were filling their view. It was so impressive. What impresses you? What is it that turns your head? Is it architecture in a home or maybe the decor inside? Does success impress you? Whether that's intelligence or whether that's money or whether that's athleticism or powerful position or popularity. The disciples were impressed with the temple. It was a symbol to them of God's presence and divine favor. So how does Jesus respond? Verse 6. As for these things that you see, the days will come when not one stone will be left upon another. All will be thrown down. If what impresses us is of this world, it will not last. It will come to an end. Jesus is foreseeing the events that will happen within 40 years. Jerusalem fell in A.D. 70. The Romans had a siege, and when they came in, they burned the temple so that they could get the gold overleaf off of the stones. Then they pushed them all off of one another. If what impresses you is of this world, it will end. What if the world as you know it suddenly came to an end? People in California, they know what it's like to lose everything in a fire. Maybe you have a metaphorical fire burning in your life right now. Something that threatens to consume you. So the disciples ask, verse 7, Teacher, when? When will this be? What will be the sign that's about to take place? They want a signal. A signal to warn, to warn them when they need to get out of Dodge, out of harm's way. We think of the extreme fire warnings that came out this past week. The disciples are looking at the circumstance that Jesus tells them about, and they see a coming catastrophe. Jesus wants them to see beyond the circumstance. He wants them to see the kingdom of God at work. God is in control. He knows already about it. Our second point, Jesus wants us to interpret life based on who is with us. So he foretells what will happen before the end of time, when history is closed. Verses 9 through 11. He tells of international unrest and wars, state of confusion, fusion, rebellion, anarchy. There will be earthquakes, famine, pestilence, terrors in the heavens relational disruption because of Jesus' name. Anyone who claims to follow Jesus will be unpopular, 
betrayed, hated, threatened, persecuted. Now, how do we respond to this? Like Dorothy in The Wizard of Oz, lions and tigers and bears, oh my, lions and tigers and bears, oh my. It is frightening. How does Jesus want us to respond? He says, when you hear growing threats, do not be terrified. The verb tense is this. Do not allow yourself to become terrified. Do not let fear seep into the basement of your life, filling up every square inch with catastrophic thinking. Terror is haunted thinking. Maybe you saw a haunted house this Halloween. Now, have you ever seen a haunted Christian? Now, that is an oxymoron. We are not to allow ourselves to give in to fear. Why? Why not? Because, Jesus says, these things must take place. That word must, pay attention when you read it in the New Testament. It is a Greek word that means it's a divine decree. It is under God's control. History is moving toward a climax. The kingdom of God has come near in Jesus. God is come near in Jesus. God is with us. God is in control. Two summers ago, when Jim, my husband, was in the basement of our house moving a glass top table, the glass split and it sliced open the back of his leg. He yelled for me to come down. I came down, and blood was spurting out. I grabbed a tablecloth as a tourniquet. I practiced nursing for 20 years, some of it in the emergency room, but this was my husband. I did not want him to bleed out. I, I was hyperventilating as I called 911. I could hardly get the words out. Firefighters were the first responders, and they calmly descended the stairs with all of their equipment. They assessed the wound. Yes, he needs it all. The situation was urgent, but they were not afraid. I needed to interpret the situation based upon who was with me. Qualified paramedics had the situation under control. How much more? When Jesus says, do not be terrified. What is happening in your life? Interpret the situation based on who is with you. From verses 13 through 15, we learn that whatever happens, God is opening for you a platform from which you can testify to others about what Jesus has done in your life. This is what happened to Horatius Bonner. He wrote the second hymn that we sang today. I heard, sang today. I heard the voice of Jesus say. He and his wife experienced what few of us can imagine. They lost five of their children to death in a succession.
succession that was rapid. Bonner experienced the voice of Jesus with him in all of his grief, in all of his anguish. And he wrote the hymn for a class full of Sunday school children so that he could give testimony to what he had experienced of God meeting him in his grief. It became the way that he could communicate the faith forward, a platform to testify. Jesus wants us to interpret life based on who is with us. You have this assurance. Jesus gives us the assurance to follow him beyond fear. Some of you, he says, they will put to death, but not a hair of your head will perish. That is a euphemism from the Old Testament. It means safe and sound. It means you are as safe as falling asleep in your bed and waking up in the morning. Nothing about you will be lost. You, we, are safe and sound in the kingdom of God. We do not have this kind of assurance unless we are firmly inside the kingdom of God. We read it from Romans 8, 31 through 39. Nothing, nothing, can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Are you in him? It comes through receiving him by faith, not trusting your circumstances, not trusting whatever it is that has given you that sense of success, how you interpret success. It comes through receiving his righteousness for your own. And you, in exchange, give him your guilt, your sin, your blindness to what makes life. There's a great exchange that takes place. His life for yours, his righteousness for your sin. When you know by faith that you are in relationship with God, in Bonner's words, it's printed on the top of your bulletin, we become invincible. There is no more quickening truth than this of assurance. How we experience life depends upon how we interpret what is happening. Jesus teaches us to follow God beyond fear because of who is with us. He is in control. I close with this story I have told before. A fire quickly consumed a house in the middle of the night. Everyone got out in time, except for a young boy caught in his room on the second floor. His father yelled out to him, Jump, son, I will catch you. But I cannot see you cried the boy. All I can see is smoke. Jump, son, cried the father. You cannot see me, but I can see you. Are you willing to take the father at his word? Let's pray.
would seal now that invitation that you are in control and that you bid us to jump into your arms. I pray in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Old South Presbyterian Church in Newburyport, Massachusetts. If you'd like more information about our historic church or you'd like to find out more about the gospel of Jesus, please visit our website at oldsouthnbpt.org. The peace of Christ be with you.